Welcome to the Digital Thoughts Podcast. My name is Zan Sayed, and I am a pharmacist turned product manager. I have almost 10 years of clinical experience in oncology, ranging from inpatient all the way to outpatient. My goal with this podcast is to bring people from all sides of the conversation together so that we can learn from each other and build a better healthcare system. In this podcast, we discuss everything digital health from the people to the products. If you do enjoy what you listen to, please consider giving this podcast a five-star rating in Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It really does help a lot. Thank you very much, and let's get into the episode. Today, we have an awesome guest. Bo Barron is the VP of Sales and Strategy at ViewFi. In this episode, we talk about his journey from being an EMT to the healthcare startup world. Should you get an MBA? How ViewFi is revolutionizing the musculoskeletal world? And why you should always be looking for product market fit? This is a great episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. Bo, how are you doing? Hey, doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So uh, for those who don't know who you are, do you mind giving us a little background about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my name is Bo Barron. I'm the VP of Sales and Strategy for a company called Bufi Health. Uh, been in healthcare pretty much my entire career. Um, you know, started off, I was actually a firefighter and EMT back in Auburn, Alabama, where I went to college. So I did that through school. Um, went on into uh, the medical device space, did that for about 10 years, and, um, and you know, I've been with ViewFi going on two years now. So. Very cool. Um, so, you, so when you were an EMT firefighter, like, I mean, I guess, like, what, what got you from being an EMT firefighter to, like, sales? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. So, um, yeah, so I started off, you know, I've always been, I've always just been really interested in, in healthcare in general. Um, obviously, starting as a firefighter and an EMT, you know, I was, I think I was like 19 or 20 um, when I, when I went through rookie school. And so being exposed to that at a pretty young age was, you know, a formative part of my career and my life as a whole. I mean, you know, exposed to quite a few things at a pretty young age um, in, in that line of work. So, uh, so anyways, you know, really kind of just fell in love with it. And, um, and so did that while I was at Auburn, um, after I graduated, I actually had a, I actually had a friend of mine in college who's a fraternity brother of mine that, um, that went into pharmaceutical sales. Uh, and so he kind of, you know, turned me on to the industry and, you know, when you're that age, you don't really know what you don't know. And so I, I, I did a lot of, of research and I thought it was something I'd be really interested in, you know, being in the operating room, being, you know, around, um, or, you know, in on surgeries and stuff like that. I thought it was pretty interesting. So um, was able to actually do an internship with a company called Integrated Medical Systems, uh, worked with them for uh, about a year. Um, so after my internship, I was hired on full time with them. Uh, traveled all over the country, uh, you know, lived in Dallas and in Baltimore, working at Johns Hopkins, uh, then landed in Denver, Colorado at Rose Medical Center, where uh, we outsourced their central sterile department. So I was working on the um, that team, kind of revamping their processes and procedures, trying to drive efficiency in that space. Um, and so anyways, while I was there, I got to know a lot of the uh, uh, med device reps for Stryker and um, and Zimmer and and you know all, all that whole crowd and so through that I was able to to join up with Stryker and had um, you know about four 
four uh, great years with them out there before yeah, I decided to move back to the Southeast so to be, be a little bit closer to family. Very cool. So yeah. what, what part of sales was the most challenging for you when you first started? So, so you know, I think, I think sales is something, um, you know, it, it somewhat came naturally to me. Uh, you know, I've always, I've always enjoyed interacting with people, really problem solving, uh, trying to, to, you know, find that root cause as to, you know, to what's going on and provide a really great solution for it. Um, you know, and, and being able to do that in a healthcare setting um, where you're working as part of, you, you yourself may not be a clinician, but you're working as part of a clinical team. That was something that really excited me. And, uh, and so, you know, I guess to answer your question, um, you know, what, what came, you know, as a challenge, I would say, yeah, I mean, honestly, like, for me, it wasn't really, I didn't really look at it as, um, you know, where I was trying to find like a specific challenge to solve or anything mm -hmm. like that. It was more of, um, you know, trying to be, trying to position myself in a way that I could provide value. And, um, you know, and if I were able to do that on a daily basis where I could show up, provide value, um, you know, be a valuable part of that team in the operating room, then, you know, the sales would follow. Um, and so that, that was really kind of where my head was at was, um, was just being that, that valuable piece to the puzzle, um, that really, you know, drove, drove positive patient outcomes and, and allowed me to be a part of, of a larger team that was providing a great service to the patients that we serve. So, um, so yeah. Yeah, no. And I think that one thing that is really, that's really stuck with me with great salespeople is kind of what you mentioned. You are not just selling to them just to get your numbers up, you're trying to solve a problem for them, right? Like you're not just, you're not, and you know, I think like, as I've talked to more like good salespeople, like really elite, like great salespeople, that's like the number one thing that all of them have is like, hey, I'm not here to sell you things, I'm here to fix a problem for you. And that to me has like completely shifted my mind on sales, you know, speaking to people like you and yourself and others. And, and you kind of mentioned it, you know, on your own, I didn't even prompt you for it, so I mean, <laughs> That part of sales, like that fixing a problem, did it, was that, is that something like you were just thinking of right away or did somebody like kind of teach you that? Yeah, well, I think, I think, you know, coming right out of college, you know, you're, you're almost indoctrinated into certain ways of thinking. You go through specific uh, sales training courses and, um, and so, you know, you're, you're obviously very number focused and, and trying to, you know, uh, I guess, drive against the quota and, and, and meet those specific targets. So, um, you know, that's always like the forefront of your mind, but if you can, I think it's, I think it takes a specific type of person to be able to see past that and say, you know, if I can, if I can put my customer first, try and solve those problems alongside them, then I'm able to build that customer relationship. And, you know, and, and those numbers and the things on the back end are going to take care of themselves. So it goes back to honestly, like, you know, one of the, the core values of Bufi is, is customer first and, um, and really trying to make sure that we go above and beyond to make sure that, that our customers are happy. And, uh, you know, and, and in this case, you know, our patients are happy to have a fantastic experience. Um, and if we do that and we do that right and we make that, um, you know, a core 
pillar or fundamental of, of our company and who we are and how we operate on a daily basis, everything else is going to take care of itself. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I guess uh, right out of the gate, I think it was, you know, you're, you're always kind of put through these training programs where you're, you're focused on these numbers and, and whatnot. But if you can, if you can look past that and see that, you know, you really are part of a team, whether that be in an operating room or any other sales, sales setting, um, you know, you're, you're part of a team trying to, to serve a customer or serve a patient. And if you can do that and do it well on a regular basis, everything else is going to take care of itself. Yeah, 100%. I completely agree with you. And uh, we can kind of transition to ViewFi. So you were employee number three at ViewFi, is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's correct. So, um, you know, we're currently uh, up to around 25. Um, I'm coming up on on two years here soon. And uh, yeah, so I was employee number three. And it was, uh, it's been an exciting ride, <laughs> to say the very least. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so you went from like, I mean, you went from like, you know, like Striker and those like their mm -hmm. massive conglomerations to like a startup. It's what is the biggest difference between like a startup versus like a very well established like legacy company? Yeah, I mean, you know, there, there's there's pros and cons to each. Um, I think it's it really depends on um, you know the person's personality depending on where they're going to gravitate to. Um, you know, having spent 10 years in, uh, you know, in the corporate world, working for the strikers and, um, and the angiodynamics and, and companies like that uh, of the world, it, you know, I, I really loved my time there. Um, I learned a ton, uh, you know, but I got to the point where I think I was a little bit burned out. I, I, I knew that I had an itch that I needed to scratch. And what I mean by that was I was burned out on being told kind of, you know, hey, here's your product, here's your tar target audience, and here's your message, and you're not allowed to deviate from any of those three. Go execute. And so you were just, you were just the executor. You were going out, you were, you were pounding the pavement, doing what you needed to do to, to make those numbers and, and drive those profits. And so to me, that wasn't, um, it wasn't super fulfilling in the long run. Um, and I got to where, you know, I really under, I really realized that you know, I wanted to be a part of building something and, uh, and, and starting from scratch and being a part of a team that is working towards a common goal, uh, you know, all mostly like-minded individuals that, uh, you know, that can, can really come in. Bless you. That's all right. That's all right. Uh, they can, um, they can come in every single day and, uh, and, you know, and really try and, and do something great. And so, uh, you know, that's kind of really what led me to, you know, when I realized that I, I no longer wanted to stay in the medical device, or not, not necessarily I didn't want to stay in the medical device space, but I, I no longer uh, was really interested in working for you know, big corporate America anymore. Um, I decided, you know, hey, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go get my MBA. Uh, I thought that was kind of the, you know, the, the answer to my problems and, or not problems, but the answer to my, you know, this, this bigger question than I had. Um, and so I went back, got my MBA from the University of Georgia. Uh, and, and through that process, I learned a ton. Um, and, and, you know, through networking and multiple other avenues, that's kind of, you know, how I was introduced to, to ViewFi as well. So awesome. Yeah. So um, I was just going to ask how you found ViewFi. You know, how did that come about? Like, what was how did that relationship yeah. start? Yeah, so it's kind of it, it was 
it, it was kind of an indirect way, but um, so I was going through, I was getting my MBA at the University of Georgia. I had a, uh, a concentration on, on entrepreneurship and leadership. And, um, and so through that process, a guy that, that lived in my neighborhood, um, he has his name, is John Birdsong, fantastic guy, shout out to him. Um, but he, uh, he lived up the road from me. He has a daughter about the same age, age as our daughter. And when COVID hit, um, you know, everything shut down. Everyone was just stuck at home, obviously. And so we live on a cul-de-sac and during the middle of the day, everybody was kind of out walking around with their kids at lunch and in the morning and in the evening. And, um, so we just kind of got to chatting and I told him I was going through the MBA program at Georgia and really interested in entrepreneurship. Uh, and he is a partner at Atlanta Ventures and he's an entrepreneur himself. And, um, and he was just like, hey, you know, based on your background, there's a guy uh, here in Atlanta named Michael Williamson. He's a serial entrepreneur. You should, should definitely meet with him. Um, he's building a company right now called ViewFi. And, uh, and given your background in orthopedics, um, you know, I think it's something that, that would you know, really align well with, with your background and what you're trying to do in the future. And uh, so that's kind of how I got in, uh, in contact with Michael and, and started off with ViewFi was... Uh, was just through a mutual connection of John who lived up the street from me. So it worked out. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing, like, you know, you never know who you're going to meet and who they know. Right. And random serendipitous like connections like that happen all the time. It's just a matter of just talking to people, you know, people say, Oh, this person was lucky. This person was lucky. It's not really luck. I mean, luck has something to do with it, but you also have to put yourself in those positions, right? Like if you had never talked to him, you know, you might not have been here right now. Right. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I mean, I'm a firm believer in the power of networking. I mean, I think, uh, you know, it, it is, that is one of the most underutilized tools, um, that every single person out there has available to them. So, I mean, you know, you and I, we would never, we, we wouldn't be sitting here doing this right now if we didn't, uh, you know, proactively, proactively reach out to each other and just have, uh, you know, some sort of interest in each other's background and, and that kind of thing. So, yeah. Yeah. 100%. I mean, I reached out I reached out to you because I was going through this struggle of if I need to get an MBA or if I do, or should I not get an MBA? And you kind of actually after talking to you and Preston, who was a mutual connection of both of ours, you know, I kind of I went down the road of not getting an MBA. But could you kind of explain to you because you said you got an MBA because you thought it was going to solve all your problems, right? There's a lot of people that's, that are in this boat. Should I get an MBA? Should I not get an MBA? Do you mind kind of how was your MBA experience? And then does do people need an MBA? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think I had a really unique MBA experience. Um, you know, I signed up for the professional MBA program at the University of Georgia. Um, I think it was nine months in, uh, or you know, right around a year uh, is when COVID hit. So we were we were in person for the first year. COVID hit, shut everything down. We all went virtual. Um, so the second half of the program was completely virtual. So just a really interesting experience to you know to begin with. Um, but to answer your question, you know, I think, I think it depends on the individual. You know, there's a lot of people that, that have to have an MBA to go and, and do the things that they want to do and reach the, you know, the, the places in their career that they, that they want to get to. Um, me personally, looking back, uh, I, I don't think I necessarily had to have it. I think it was, um, I think I benefited in ways that, that surprised me. And, um, you know, I went through the program or I initially signed up for the program thinking, hey, I'm going to be able to, to learn this blueprint of how to build a company. 
and how to build it the right way. And, um, you know, I've always had like an entrepreneurial mindset, um, but I'd always kind of looked around and, and seen people around me that have built these really successful companies. And I've always thought like, well, you know, how did they learn how to do that? Like as if you, as if you had to learn how before you actually jump in and do it. Um, and so anyways, going through, you know, I think I came out, I, 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 I learned a ton. I certainly did not come out and think, you know, I had this, this magic blueprint to go and, and start this incredible company or anything. Um, more so the benefit for me was, was really being able to validate where I, where I stood amongst my peers and, um, and, and learn a ton about, you know, my strengths and my weaknesses and, and where I was able to prov provide a ton of value in the areas that, um, you know, I, I definitely can work on. And, um, and so it was a, it was an interesting experience in that regard. And, you know, there's certainly, certainly a ton of value there. Um, and, and I don't think, I don't think I would be where I am now without that experience. Um, it just was different than what I thought I was getting going in. So not necessarily that it was good or bad or, or, you know, anything in between. It was just different than what I had originally anticipated. So, yeah. And I think that, um, belief in yourself is such an important thing, right? Like, mm -hmm. um, I talk about it like I didn't believe I could get to where I got to, but it took other people telling me, no, you can. And I think that that, that mental shift in your brain really does propel you much farther than you think it will. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, um, you know, it's almost like I, I got, I got much more out of it than I probably originally thought I would <laughs> just in, just in that regard. And, um, you know, as a kid, as a kid growing up, you know, like I was never, uh, you know, super book smart or anything. Like I was much more concerned about sports and, and everything else. Um, and, and so, you know, to be able to go through a program like the university of Georgia, um, and, and, you know, see really where my value lies was incredibly powerful for me and my self-confidence and, um, and just, and just knowing like, Hey, it, it's not, it's not that you need this, this specific design on how to go build a company. It's more about, Hey, get the confidence and then, and then go do it. Um, so yeah, so in, in, you know, being where I am today and being able to work alongside someone like Michael Williamson, who, you know, has, has done this three times over and has been highly successful at, you know, uh, at that, just even learning through osmosis, just being around people like that on a daily basis, um, is, is, is the most valuable, uh, there. Well, I guess it's, it's the, it's the easiest way that I'm able to learn is that I, I learned so much without even knowing that I'm learning. And then I look back, you know, a month later and I'm like, man, you know, I've, I've learned so much just being around these individuals on a regular basis. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, people around you, like the people that you surround yourself with do mold and kind of guide you and without you even knowing it. But the most important question I have at Aptas probably in this is who do you root for Georgia or Auburn when they're going at it? <laughs> man I, i'm a diehard auburn fan i always have been uh you know and and I, I i definitely don't see that change at any time soon you know funny fact is um so my wife her entire side of the family is you know she has three older brothers all of them are are diehard georgia fans 
Um, and, and I'm the only one in the family that's actually graduated from the University of Georgia. So <laughs> not, you know, and all of them went to fantastic schools. They just, none, none of them went to Georgia. So, uh, so in, that, in that, in that one scenario, I'll say go dogs. <laughs> uh, but, um, but yeah, let's touch on ViewFi. So what does ViewFi do? Yeah, man. So, um, so really what we are, we're the, we're the world's first virtual orthopedic practice. Um, you know, we, we really act as that front door to orthopedic and musculoskeletal care. Um, you know, I think the best example is, say, you know, somebody who has low back pain that's on an HMO plan or something like that. Um, they first need to go and get a referral from their primary care physician. Uh, you know, those, those primary care docs will be the first one to tell you that's not their area of expertise. Um, and, and, you know, really what they're, what they're doing is they're, you know, they, they play defense, right? Like they, um, they will likely order imaging, pres prescribe some type of, uh, anti-inflammatories, something along those lines, um, send the patient on their way, refer them on to the next stop. And, and really what that leads to is, is kind of the patient bouncing around. They're never receiving any type of definitive diagnosis or definitive answer, um, as to what's causing their pain and how to solve their pain. Um, and so that's really where we come in is we're able to act as that front door and say, you know, hey, uh, let us be the musculoskeletal and orthopedic experts. We will provide a definitive diagnosis right out of the gate. We'll tell the patient exactly what is causing their pain, uh, provide them a detailed plan of care, and then, and then really try and you know, mitigate a lot of that unnecessary downstream cost associated with the historical pathway of bouncing around. Um, you know, you see a lot of times patients with, you know, excessive imaging, uh, you know, a lot of unnecessary in-office visits. Um, and, and all of that stuff, it, it not only does it drive the cost up for, for the patient and, um, you know, and, and the payer, but it's also extending that patient journey. And so our goal is to, to do you know, both, or to basically attack both of those things. We want to get that diagnosis correct right out of the gate, get that patient on a plan of care that's going to get them better as fast as possible. And in doing so, we're going to remove a lot of that unnecessary downstream cost. Uh, so anyways, that's kind of like a 30,000 foot view of what ViewFi is, but really kind of the way we, we sum it up is we say, you're able to receive the same level of care um, that you would receive at an in-person visit with an orthopedic surgeon, but, but you can you know, do it virtually, uh, through ViewFi. So, yeah, no, that's really interesting. So do you guys, so how does that work? So how do they refer you to, like, do you guys work with insurance plans or you guys work outside of insurance plans? And then I'll, like, I'll let you answer that one first and before I go on. Yeah, totally. So, um, so our main focus right now, uh, is, is on the payer market. So whether that be your traditional payers, you know, insurance companies, um, or self-insured employers, uh, those are kind of our, our main areas of focus. We'll go and we'll, we'll contract directly with them. Um, you know, a couple of other areas that we're, you know, we're beginning to dip our toe into that I think, you know, is incredibly exciting uh, is the virtual fitness space, um, you know, being able to go and partner with companies, um, you know, like Mirror, uh, uh, Peloton, um, Climber, so some of these these virtual fitness companies that have established user bases, um, they have the the equipment in in how you know in home, um, and they have a patient 
demographic uh, or patient population that's going to likely present with some type of MSK or orthopedic condition, uh, you know, within the next 12 months. So, uh, so that's something that, you know, we're really excited about as well. Awesome. And then do you guys have your own, um, like physicians and staff, or do you guys contract that out with already established physicians and staff? Yeah. So we, um, yeah, so we employ our own MDs. So that's kind of one unique thing about ViewFi, uh, is that every patient, our patient care team is actually it consists of, of orthopedic and musculoskeletal physicians. So either orthopedic surgeons or non-operative sports physicians um, are are part of the patient care team. Um, so the patients that come to ViewFi, uh, they're going to you know be paired with one of those two options. So orthopedic surgeon or non-operative sports MD, um, and then a physical therapist if they need it. And then we also have non-clinical health guides that help those patients navigate through that process. Um, so really. You know, ViewFi is in the, the other thing that I didn't mention is, you know, our co-founders uh, are our orthopedic surgeons as well. So you have Josh, Josh Dines um, and Chris Dodson, who you know, are two of the most uh, well-known orthopedic surgeons in the world. You know, they're team physicians for the, the New York Mets and the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, so our platform is built on it's built on proven clinical pathways that, that these guys developed. Um, and so being able to, to take that and kind of, um, deliver it, you know, across the country is, is a really powerful thing. And we're doing it in a truly clinical way, um, with, with actual physicians that, that are, are hired and employed directly by BFI. So. Yeah, no. And I think when we first talked, that was like the most interesting to me thing to me is like, you guys are literally, I mean, they're part of the view five community and ecosystem. Um, so when, so when somebody needs to get like a surgery or something, how does that take place? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, we're a firm believer, um, in the fact that, you know, uh, virtual care is not going to solve every situation for every patient. Um, and we are fully aware of the fact that, you know, patients oftentimes need to be seen in person. They need to have, um, some type of surgical intervention. Um, so, but all of that really starts with the diagnosis and, and that, that is the cornerstone of what ViewFi was founded on, um, you know, being able to, to provide a patient with a definitive diagnosis, a definitive plan of care, um, and then get them on the next best step is, is really kind of the initial goal of ViewFi. And then, so, um, you know, say through that diag uh, diagnostic exam, we determined that advanced imaging is needed. We have a national network of, uh, of imaging centers across the country that we can refer patients into. Um, as the referring physician, we, uh, we will receive those images back. We will review those images uh, you know, with our own MD team. And then if that patient uh, you know, does actually need some type of surgical intervention, we can provide that referral uh, as well. So, um, really, you know, we can do everything from, from virtual physical therapy, which we have in our platform, um, all the way to a surgical referral. If, um, yeah, you know, if, if that, if that is something that's needed. So, yeah, so that's good. I mean, it's not like, like kind of going back to your initial point, 
you guys are not just adding to the problem, but like, Hey, you see us. Oh, now you got to take all of this back to your doctor. No, we can, yeah. we can take that because that, that is one of the issues with some health, with startups is they take care of their little thing. And then it just creates another barrier, another step for the patient or the doctor or the nurse, whoever it is. So it's good to see that you guys are, you guys are basically taking full ownership of that specific issue. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. And we're doing everything, uh, you know, we're taking full ownership all the way from the initial diagnosis through, you know, post-operative physical therapy. Um, and so being able to be an advocate for that patient throughout their entire patient journey is a big part of what we do. Um, and, and I think, you know, I think that's a huge differentiating factor uh, for ViewFi compared to some of the other competitors on the, on the market today. Um, you know, there, there's a, I mean, we all know MSK and, uh, and just virtual MSK care is a very busy, um, industry right now. Uh, there's a lot of at-home exercise plans, a lot of, uh, you know, virtual physical therapy and, um, and, you know, and what we find is none of it's really clinically based. A lot of it is, you know, they're, they're gaining traction within the self-insured employer market, because that is a very much a non-clinical sale most of the time. Um, you're dealing with, you know, with, with HR executives and, and people like that who, um, you know, you're not selling to a medical director of, you know, a, a health plan um, or something along those lines. And that's why we've had so much, so much success on the traditional payer side of, of the market is because we can go in and we can actually say, hey, like, you know, all, all of our clinical pathways are proven. Um, you know, we have decades of positive patient outcomes. We have our own, uh, you know, directly employed MDs that, that work with us and, and see our patients on a daily basis. Um, and, you know, and, and all of our founding MDs are all HSS trained. So these are, you know, HSS clinical pathways that um, again, have decades of, of positive patient outcomes. So it's a, it's a very different offering than anything else on the market today. Um, and because of that, we've had uh, you know, a really great response to it so far. So. Yeah, I know, that's awesome. So how do you guys do like a virtual diagnosis? I mean, you know, like um, somebody who's a lay person like myself, like, you know, it seems like you'd have to see the bird, but like, how do you guys work around that part? That yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, so you're going to do the same physical exam. So, for example, say say you come in. Yeah, I think the best case is probably frozen shoulder. Mm -hmm. So, patient presents with um, you know frozen shoulder. Most often times, that's something that's going to need to be manually manipulated. Um, and and so, say that patient were to come to another competitor on the market who does not do a true clinical diagnosis on the front end. If that patient were to go to one of those competitors and they were to, you know, they're just going to be flagged as having shoulder pain. And then they're going to be prescribed a, an at-home exercise plan for shoulder pain. That patient goes through that plan, very, like, very, very high likelihood that they're going to be, you know, worse off than, than when they had previously started. Um, so it's super, super important to get that diagnosis right on the front end to identify that as frozen shoulder. In that case, be able to refer that patient, patient to an in-person um, visit with a physical therapist where they can go in, have that condition manually, manually mani be manipulated, 
um, and work through an in-person program there. You know, that's a, that's a, a big part of what we do where we believe in, in hybrid care. Um, and so anyways, to answer your question, patient comes in, they're going to start off by, by filling out, um, you know, a screener that is going to walk them through a series of questions. It's then going to route them down a specific clinical pathway. Um, and, and they're going to be assigned a series of, of exams. So, uh, virtual physical exams. And in, generally it's anywhere from, you know, 10 to, to 12 movements. Um, we have, you know, hundreds of pre-recorded videos. So these patients can do it. They can either do it synchronously um, in a one-on-one -on -one setting with a physician, or they can do it asynchronously on their own um, by themselves in the comfort of their home. And, and the way they do that, again, they fill out that screener. It will, um, you know, identify them as having some type of shoulder condition. They will be sent down, you know, say the core shoulder pathway. They're then prescribed 10 uh 10 movements or 10 exam videos that they will walk through. So they'll hit play on their, their computer or their phone or their tablet, whatever it is. Um, and they'll, they'll walk through a range of motion. And as they go through these ranges of motion, their, uh, their, their ranges of motion are captured in real time. And so they're being recorded at the end of that. It's uploaded into our system. It's going to be reviewed by, um, by our medical team. And our medical team will determine, you know, exactly what that diagnosis is. And then, uh, and then the patient can schedule time to review that in a one-on-one -on -one setting with the MD, uh, you know, at a time that works best for them. And, uh, and so really what that does, it's, it's, it's great because the patient can do their initial diagnostic exam on their own. Uh, and, and so, you know, they can do it on their time. And then once it's uploaded, the physician uh, is able to review it. And then, you know, we, we guarantee that patients will be seen within 24 hours um, if, they, if they would like to be, which, you know, is significantly faster than the national average of 11 and a half days. So that's like, that's another big win. Um, so, yeah, so that's kind of how it works. Uh, and, and then they, they meet in a one-on-one -on -one setting, like I said. They discuss the, the diagnosis, they discuss the recommended plan of care, um, and then, you know, any type of uh, referrals or, or medications that, that need to be prescribed or made um, are done. I do like to point out we do not prescribe opioids, um, but, uh, but that is, you know, kind of the, the flow of it uh, as it stands today. So Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, no, that was going to be my next question. How quickly can patients see you? So within 24 hours, that's uh, pretty awesome, especially with somebody who's got, you know, MSK pain. That can be pretty debilitating for some people. Um, yeah. How would you How would you guys seen that um, this works with like older older population? How have they been liking it? Yeah, I mean, you know, so far, so far, so good. So we, you know, a big thing that we dialed into early was that, um, you know, the the older patient population they really don't like to have to download apps. They don't like to update the apps. So we're a fully web-based platform. Um, so really all they have to do is click on the link and you know, it takes them straight to their, their login screen. Um, they can do it from a phone, they can do it from a tablet, laptop, whatever it may be. Um, so you know, we've, had, we've had really great responses from them so far. It's super intuitive um, and, and very, very easy to follow. I mean, you can, you just, it's simple yes or no questions for the most part. You can elaborate if you would like to. Um, and then from there, it's as simple as, 
you know, following along with the videos and just doing the movements to the best of your ability. Um, and, and then if, you know, once you, once you upload your recording and it's reviewed, if you meet in a one-on-one setting and you need to do some, or, you know, the, the MD wants you to do some additional movements, they can assign you those, those videos in real time while you're meeting with them. Um, and so it keeps the physician from having to explain to the patient, Hey, I need you to stand up and do this movement. You know, it's like, instead it's really simple. It's just like, Hey, watch this video and follow along. I'm going to watch you as you do it. I'm going to measure your range of motion in real time and I'll, you know, take the, the proper notes that are needed and, um, and we'll see kind of what the next step is from there. So. Very cool. So when you say measure the movements, is it kind of like, that sounds like a dumb question. Is it like telling you in the app or are you guys physically measuring? Like how, how does that work? Yeah. So we, um, we, so we have an AI uh, aspect to our platform. And so if I were to stand here and we were, we were in, um, the platform and I was being measured, I'd be able to raise my arms up to the side and you'd be able to measure this angle. Mm-hmm. So it locks in, it locks in on all the joints of the body. Um, and as you run through a range of motion, it measures those angles in real time. Very cool. Very cool. So, um, so you like, again, you were employee number three, you're head of sales and strategy. So would love to get some insights as to how did you get to where you got to, right? You know, how did you get in front of people, insurance companies, providers, all this stuff? Like what was, if, if there's a, if there's a founder listening to this right now, they're, you know, they have zero customers right now, right? They have, it's just them and the co-founder. What advice do you have to tell them? Like, Hey, this is how you get your first 10 customers. Yeah. So we're, so ViewFi, like I said earlier, we're a really small team. Um, and, and we're, we're growing rapidly, but right out of the gate, you know, we, we came to realize that this is a very unique industry where you're not going to be able to go and cold call, uh, you know, and, and get in front of a lot of the people that you need to get in front of. Um, so because of that, uh, you know, I go back to really making sure that you're, you're partnering with, with the, you know, whether it be a private equity firm or VC firm, whoever you're, uh, you know, is providing your funding make sure you're very thoughtful in who you partner with um, and then be able to leverage some of the, the resources that they have to be able to get in front of the right people and network with um, you know, some of the other uh, companies within their portfolio to see you know, uh, if there is any type of alignment between your offering and, and some of the other companies um, that, they, that they represent. And, uh, and so we, we've been very successful in doing that. Um, and really trying to, to just network as much as possible. Um, so yeah, you know, I mean, like that's probably not the most direct answer, but that's where we've, we've, uh, you know, really seen the most value, I would say. I think networking is the answer to a lot of things. And I don't think people want it to be the answer to a lot of things because people Mm -hmm. don't like to network, but honestly, the more people, you know, kind of exactly how you got into viewfire, right? You you didn't know your your neighbor knew you know yeah <laughs> a venture fund person or whatever like it just kind of happened and it wouldn't have never happened if you just didn't talk to them and I think that's one thing that a lot of people need to do is just reaching out to people and you don't have to reach out to them for like for the to make a sale but just reach out to them and just talk and just get to know people and build those relationships so that when if something does come up they can be like oh yeah you know what. Zane or Bo had this thing. Let me, you know, and then people start making connections for you. 
Yeah. And, and, you know, the other thing too, is, um, you know, I would say like, like be proactive and having new conversations. So don't be, don't be completely, uh, beholden to your initial go to market strategy. Um, you know, right out of the gate, Viewfy, we were founded, um, initially on being able to solve for, know, uh, orthopedic surgeons to do virtual physical exams when COVID, when COVID hit, because, you know, they, they weren't able to see their patients in person. They weren't able to, you know, run a patient through a range of motion like they normally would. Um, and so that's kind of how it came about was, you know, can we build a platform that can solve for that to do, you know, a, a virtual physical exam even better than you would normally do in office? Because there's a lot of times, I mean, like, I think most orthopedic surgeons will tell you they're not sitting there with a goniometer, you know, in an initial exam, like measuring that range of motion and, and, and tracking that uh, degree by degree as the patient moves forward. Um, so being able to do that virtually is really, um, that's a really great thing. Uh, but we started there and then we realized, you know, hey, uh, we provide a lot more value to, to the payer market. Um, for obvious reasons, being able to cut out a lot of that unnecessary downstream cost, being able to shorten that patient journey and provide those patients with a much better experience than they would normally have going, you know, getting in their car, fighting traffic, especially here in Atlanta, you know, driving, driving downtown to go to Emory to see somebody and, uh, and then having to turn around and go back. It's, it's, um, you know, it's, it's a really seamless process. It's, uh, it's super intuitive. It's easy to use. And, um, and, and it's, it's truly clinically based, which is, uh, which is, you know, very different than anything else that's out there. But the point being, you know, if, uh, had, had we stuck with our initial go to market strategy, we'd still be trying to, you know, uh, you know, kick down doors at orthopedic surgeons offices and, and trying to go that route when, you know, in reality, we, we identified a much, much bigger market, um, and an area where the the story and the message is is so much better received, I would say. Um, you know, it's the first time in my career where I can honestly say, uh, you know, ninety five percent of the conversations that we have, um, everybody gets it. I mean, it's they they understand right out of the gate. Hey, this is solving for a very very big problem. I mean. You know, MSK cost is, you know, if it's not the number one cost driver for self-insured employers, it's definitely in the top top five. Um, and and so being able to go in with a really clean, uh, you know, intuitive offering that they can roll out to their employee base uh, to help kind of combat some of that and be able to get those patients, you know, back to what they, you know, want to be doing. Um, in a shorter time period, that's a win for everybody. Uh, so, so anyways, I would just say be open to, to other areas and, um, and, you know, ne never be too beholden to your initial go-to-market strategy. Yeah. I mean, product market fit is something that I think that people should, you know, you should always be looking for, right. You know, when you might have it at some point, but then it might shift. And like you said, if you weren't thinking out, you know, if you weren't thinking a little bit outside of what you're, you know, your product market fit was initially, you wouldn't have probably never stumbled upon this, you know, bigger opportunity, right? And that's one thing mm -hmm. that I think a lot of 
not a lot, but I mean, it's something that founders really get stuck on because, you know, it's their baby. They, they, they thought of this and, you know, Hey, we're successful right here. Let's not deviate from it at all. And sometimes you miss out on bigger, um, bigger things. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But, um, so, uh, do you, you guys were, you also mentioned something about virtual physical therapy. And that's also really interesting to me because I think now I think nowadays people are really realizing the value of physical therapy, especially in recovery, injuries, things like that. In some cases, it can even um, prevent surgery, right? You know, yeah. if you if you do good enough physical therapy, like how does the virtual physical therapy work for you guys? Yeah, so um, you know, speaking from experience, I've <laughs> I've had uh, seven knee surgeries on my left knee alone. So been through physical therapy many, many, many times. Um, and I, you know, and I'll be the first one to tell you, like they're having, um, the ability to go in person when it makes sense and being able to, uh, you know, be run through a, a range of motion. Like after, I mean, I had a distal femoral osteotomy, a tibial tubercle osteotomy. Um, you know, I've had some major surgeries and I know that, you know, I know, I understand the value of, of in-person uh, physical therapy, but then also having the ability to, uh, you know, to be able to do the movements at home on top of that is incredibly valuable too. Um, and so, you know, we, uh, we've partnered with, um, you know, we, we have some of the, the best physical therapists, um, you know, on our staff. Uh, some are, you know, employed full-time others are, uh, you know, employed part-time that have helped us build out our physical therapy offering. Um, and, you know, and these, these are our physical therapists that, you know, work with the Jacksonville Jaguars and, you know, a lot of other, uh, professional sports teams, you know, they take care of the best athletes in the world. And that was something that was really, really important to us when it came to building out our physical therapy offering is making sure that, you know, these weren't just, um, you know, you're not following along with a cartoon trying to, you know, do like squats up and down. And like, that's the extent of it. Like, no, like the programs that are built within Bufi are the same programs that, you know, the, you know, NFL football players are using on a regular basis, uh, for recovery. So, um, so anyways, uh, you know, I'm not sure if that exactly answers your question, but, um, but we have the ability to do, um, you know, short physical therapy programs, uh, you know, four week programs all the way up to 12 week programs. Um, we can do, uh, you know, just, just regular preventative physical therapy to try and keep people out of the operating room. We can, uh, you know, have them go through and, uh, and do full post-operative physical therapy as well where it makes sense, you know, it's just on a patient, uh, to patient basis yeah. to, to kind of really serve whatever that patient's needs are. Awesome. And is it kind of similar to like the thing where they're, they're fed videos and there's, and they're mimicking those things, those uh, yeah. movements. Yeah. So we have, uh, you know, a full repository, um, of physical therapy, uh, videos uh, within our program and, and it's actual models, um, that are moving, you know, doing real exercises, um, and so it's, it's as simple as hitting play and being able to follow along on the videos. Awesome. Yeah, no, that's cool. So what advice would you give to people that want to go into the startup world? Like, yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, I think, I think probably the two things that really stand out to me 
uh, you know, I just go back to, to ViewFi's core values. Um, the two biggest things that, that I always drill into is number one, think yes before no. So I think that's a, that's a huge part of, of being in the startup world. You know, you have to, you, you can't have a pessimist mindset. Um, you know, that's not gonna, that's not gonna do anybody any favors. There's a million reasons why you can't do something. And that's, per, you know, like, that's, that's why a lot of the things have never been done before and why you're here to solve problems that have never been solved before. And, um, and so I just love the, I, I love that motto, you know, think yes before no, come into every single situation, trying to figure out how we can do something um, instead of identifying why we can't. So, um, you know, that, that would be kind of number one. And then number two, um, which is another core value of ours is be willing to sit on the floor. And, and so really what that means, you know, you, you can't be the type of individual who comes in every single day and says, you know, well, that's not in my job description. Um, you know, as the VP of sales and strategy at VFI, I can confidently tell you, you know, I've done everything from sales to marketing to, you know, um, operations, I mean, you name it, I will happily do whatever it takes to make sure this company succeeds. Um, and, and so, you know, having that, that mindset of everyone's doing this as a team, and I'm going to do everything I can to support the person on my right and the support uh, and support the person on my left to make sure that we're all successful. Um, so being able to have those two, two things, that would, that would be my advice. And that would also be my advice for people that are hiring within the startup space, you know, like really try and, uh, you know, screen for those two things. Um, if, you know, you, you can kind of teach the rest, but if you, if you can find people that fit those two, um, you know, core criteria, I think it'll be a great way to, you know, establish a solid foundation and move forward. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you there. I think that I, I like to say that to be a, um, to be a startup, to be working a startup, you have to be delusional to a certain extent. And I don't mean in a bad way. You have to be so, so optimistic that you can't let the noise kind of get in the way because any little doubt can derail everything, right? And you have to, and you still have to be humble enough to like pivot, but you just mm -hmm. have to know like, hey, what we're doing is the right thing to do it. Because if you don't believe 100% of the times, you're not going to, you're not going to be able to move the mountain that you need to move. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think even more than that, it's it's believe believe in the people that are on your team that you're working with every single day. You know, if you if you can get a team that you, you don't always have to gel together. I mean, people are going to disagree, and that's that's a good thing in a lot of cases. But but if you truly respect everyone on your team, um, and you can say like, I know every single person here is going to do what they say they're going to do. Um, and they're going to do it to the best of their ability. Um, and then, and where they fall short, we're all going to come together to, you know, to, to back that person up and pick them up. Um, that's, it's an incredibly fun thing to be a part of. Um, and it's, it's a very powerful force too, which is, which is, you know, exciting. <laughs> so, yeah, no one. Uh, and I think that's what draws a lot of people to the startup world. The ones that really thrive in it is just that, us against the world we're all together mm -hmm. and we're gonna we're gonna just make this happen uh so but in terms of sales um do you if somebody came up to you like hey 
I'm brand new in sales. Would you recommend them they start in a startup or would you say, hey, uh, you know, cut your cloth in well-established companies, start there and then move to a startup world? Man, I would, I would, uh, I would strongly recommend if they have the ability to start in the startup space to do that. I mean, you're going to, you're going to learn so much more in a short period of time, um, you know, working within the startup ecosystem than, than you ever would being placed into, you know, a very narrow lane and told like, this is where you operate. Uh, you know, but again, you know, I think it, I think it just depends on the person's personality. I mean, there's a lot of people that operate really, really well, um, in, in, in that type of environment. And, you know, I think it's the difference between, you know, being an inch deep and a mile wide versus, you know, a mile deep and an inch wide it just depends on the person's personality. Um, and I think, you know, for me and, and other people in the startup space, it's really fun to, to be able to do a lot of different things. And, um, you know, I think in the past, most people would call that, you know, ADHD, <laughs> but, but, uh, you know, for me, it's, 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 uh, that's what I call, you know, fun. And, and that's what really drew me to, uh, to the industry as a whole, because I can do a lot of different things on any given day. So. Yeah. I, I joke with people that if I was a kid right now, I would a hundred percent be diagnosed with ADHD because I am constantly switching back and forth. And, and another quote that comes to mind is, you know, like they say the Jack of all trades is a master of none, but they don't ever tell you the full quote, which is, you yeah. know, Jack of all trades is a master of none, but much better than a master of one. Right. Yeah. And that to me is like the perfect quote for startups is like, you need somebody who is really good at something, right? Because you need complementary skills, but you need them to be really good at something, but also good at other things and, or at least willing to, learn those other things. Yeah. Yeah. And you, yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, you want, you want everyone on the team to be, you know, able to accomplish whatever their specific task is, task is, and then willing to help, uh, you know, where, where they need to help. And, um, and so again, I think if you can go back and build a team around that, it's, uh, you know, it's a recipe for success. So, yeah, yeah. no. Um, so another question I have around the sales and startup world is when would you hire your first salesperson? Like when, yeah, you know, like, like how sometimes some people say, don't do it too early. The founders really should be doing the sales. And some people say, Hey, just hire somebody or after you get some funding, like when, when do you think is the best time to hire your first salesperson? Yeah, I would say, um, I would say, you know, the idea, look, ideal, ideal time is when you're confident that, uh, that that hire has, you know, a defined ROI tied to it. Um, you know, if, if you can, if you can hire somebody and you're confident that you're going to, you know, have some type of return on investment at the end of the year, um, you know, that's a win. Now that's like best case scenario. Right. Um, so I guess I would say, you know, be cautious, don't hire too early. You want to make sure you have, um, you know, product market fit is the most important. Um, so be able to establish that first, um, you know, definitely, you know, try and have sales, uh, on the books if you can. And, um, and once you have some success, you're able to kind of land and expand and replicate on top of that. 
that's that would be the time when I would start plugging in salespeople. When you have a defined sales process that has succeeded, um, you know, you can get a leader to come in, um, really continue to define that and hone in on what that process looks like, and um, and then build out a team uh, of of sales reps to go and execute. So, yeah, yeah, I think that's. I mean, that sounds very logical to do it that way. I mean, uh, so kind of want to end this interview off with the last question of, so now that you are where you are, you know, VP of sales and strategy of UFI, all the, and you have a wealth of experience behind you, you know, before this position, what advice would you have given yourself while you were kind of just got into the job market or while you were in college that you, you know, that you would give yourself right now? Oh man. <laughs> so, so many things. <laughs> uh, no, I, I would, um, you know, I would say, and I, you know, I, st- I, I think, I think everybody kind of struggles with this, especially when you're, when you're young and you, like I said earlier, you just don't know what you don't know. Um, you know, don't be afraid to be wrong and ask a lot of questions. Um, you know, try and, um, you know, find people, surround yourself uh, with people who have your best interests at heart, um, who are willing and able to mentor you in the areas that you're interested in. Um, and, you know, one of the best things that I, you know, I, I love is, you know, if you're, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're, you're in the wrong room. You know, like you, you want to make sure you're around uh, very smart people that you're able to learn from. Um, and, you know, and then on top of that, I would say, uh, you know, don't be too hard on yourself. You know, I think that was something that I kind of always struggled with was, you know, I would, I would compare myself to other people and, um, and, you know, everybody has their own path and, uh, and it's okay, you know, if it takes you a little bit longer to get where you need to be. Um, but, you know, yeah. And, and so I guess finally, the only other thing I would say is, uh, you know, when you're young, don't be afraid to take chances. You know, if if you're interested in something, go after it, try it. Uh, if it, if it doesn't work out, that's fine. Um, you have plenty of time to recover, uh, and you know, try and try and just explore different things um, right out of the gate and see kind of what you're interested in, and and that'll give you a little bit more definition as to where you want to go in your career long term. Yeah, no, that's very sage advice, and that's similar advice that I still give to myself. <laughs> to this day. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, if anyone wants to reach out to you, how what's the best place to reach out to you? Yeah, um, you know, uh, I mean, I think the easiest place would just be to, to well, actually, you know what, probably LinkedIn. Um, you know, you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, try to be super active um, on the platform on a really regular basis. So uh, yeah, you can look, look me up on LinkedIn, Bo Barron uh, at UFI Health. And um, yeah, always happy to chat with anybody that's interested. So. Awesome. Yeah, no. Uh, but yeah, no, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Zane, I appreciate it, man. It was a good time. Thank you.